May the peace of Christ be with you. I'm not sure if you've heard, but the math that's being taught in schools these days is not the same as it used to be. If you're more than about 10 or 15 years older than me, you may not have heard about this evolution of mathematics. And if you are more than about 10 or 15 years younger than me, you may not have known you were learning something new. I learned about this new math when my friend's kids entered elementary school and my friends started then posting on social media their complaints that they could neither understood nor understand nor help their children with their math homework. The answers were the same, but the path to get to them was sufficiently different to result in enough weeping and gnashing of teeth to cause a national tissue shortage and significantly increased dental bills. When I read this morning's gospel lesson in preparation for worship today and read Jesus saying that he had not come to bring peace but division, I thought, oh no, not Jesus too. Even Jesus is trying to mix things up and try out some of this new math. When Jesus asks, do you think I've come to bring peace to the earth? I want to raise my hand and say, yes, of course you came to bring peace to the earth. You are the Prince of Peace. In worship every week, we greet each other with the peace of Christ. Yes. When Jesus responds that he has come to bring division, I cannot keep myself from thinking about verses in the Bible like Colossians 3.15, which instructs the church to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Or the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians, which lists prominently in the fruits of Peace, or Ephesians 2.17, in which we are told that Jesus came and proclaimed peace to you who were far away and peace to you who are near. The Gospel of John records Jesus saying, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, and I have said this to you so that in me you may have peace. Even in the Gospel of Luke, where we find today's Gospel lesson, Jesus says to people twice before today's reading, Peace, go in peace, and to another peace to this house. But not today. Today, it seems, Jesus wants to talk about division. And what kind of division does Jesus want to talk about? The kind of division that rocks families to their core. The kind that sets fathers against sons and mothers against daughters. The kind of division that sees families split apart 
as evenly as families can be split. And here we have Jesus on the road to Jerusalem where he will be crucified. He is tired and weary and worried, and he is not offering words of care and caution, not offering words of comfort and care, but he is offering words of caution that cause concern. Do you think I have come to bring peace? are many texts throughout the Bible that feel far away, like someone needs to sit with them and study them for a long time to understand them and connect to them. But this description of division feels all too close to our present. It feels like Jesus might be describing some of us. It seems Jesus might be looking into our lives our lives that exist beyond these walls and inside of other walls, walls that we think or hope that other people can't see into, walls that we hope protect us when we lay awake at night and wonder about the pain and wonder if anybody knows and if they did, if they would still love us. It is this kind of raw and tender pain that Jesus touches on as a description of the division that he says he's bringing in Luke's gospel. A far cry from the kind of peace that we will sing about during Advent. Peace on earth and mercy mild. Peace on earth, goodwill to all. His gospel is peace, sleep in heavenly peace. To this Jesus says, do you think I have come to bring peace? No, says Jesus, I tell you but rather division. I wonder if Jesus' words here as he is on his, the road to his death, might be a painful description of what he has seen in his life as a response to his gospel, rather than a description of his intentions. After all, Jesus' ministry begins in Luke chapter 4 with Jesus teaching in his hometown synagogue. Those who knew him and his family were initially excited about his ability to understand and teach the scriptures. And then a few verses later, those same hometown congregation members, congregants who may have included some of his extended family, try to throw Jesus off a cliff. Pain and division in response to Jesus' teaching that he has come to bring good news. There was also that time in chapter 5 that some guys made a hole in the roof to lower their friend down to meet with Jesus. And the first thing Jesus says to this friend is, your sins are forgiven. 
This greeting upsets the gathered religious folk to the point that they accuse Jesus of speaking blasphemy. Later in chapter 6, Jesus' disciples did what was unlawful on the Sabbath. Also in chapter 6, Luke tells the rich and the well-fed and those who are laughing and those of whom all speak well, woe to you. In chapter 7, Jesus, a Jew, says of, Gen of a Gentile Roman centurion that he has not found such faith anywhere among the Jews in all of Israel. In chapter 8, when Jesus rids a man of a legion of demons, the kind people of his hometown ask Jesus to leave. In chapter 9, the Samaritans didn't even want Jesus to pass through their village. And in chapter 10, Jesus makes the hero of his most famous parable a Samaritan. The very same people who only one chapter earlier wouldn't even let Jesus walk through their town. As I read the Gospel of Luke to this point in Jesus' journey, it seems to me that the message of Jesus was not one of division, but rather, as we heard from Chuck last week, while many things may matter much to God, nothing matters more than that we sit down with and stand up for whoever in our world is most voiceless and vulnerable, suffering and struggling, marginalized and ostracized, embarrassed and excluded, left out and alone. This overarching message of Jesus, which started in that first sermon in Luke 4, the one that led residents of his hometown to try to throw him off a cliff, was good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and freedom for the oppressed. The ministry of Jesus continued as it began with a focus on those furthest from power and privilege, the poor, the imprisoned, those whose health prevents them from engaging in a world built for able-bodied folk, and those who for one reason or another are incapable of experiencing the fullness of freedom that other humans enjoy. This is a mission that we know. This is a mission that we have heard preached and witnessed lived throughout the pastorate of Chuck Poole and throughout the history of this good church. When this kind of ministry starts to cause the kinds of divisions that Jesus describes in today's reading, is when there is conflict between the groups about whom Jesus spoke in his first sermon, and the groups that more traditionally hold power and privilege, notably the not poor, those with a clean police report, those who are able-bodied and neurotypical, and those who live life without a concern for how the essence of their being might result in persecution in the midst of otherwise everyday activities. 
I don't think Jesus set out with the intention of dividing, but reconciling. Only for Jesus, peace begins with the focus on those in need and in pain. For Jesus, peace has a full range of life implications. For Jesus, peace looks like everyone having enough so that no one is hungry. For Jesus, peace looks like a world without prisons because in the peace of Jesus, the principles that govern human interaction are love, redemption, and reconciliation. For Jesus, peace looks like a world where physical and neurodivergent limitations do not exist because in the peace of Christ, there is room for all, space for all, and time for all, whatever the cost. For Jesus, peace means that all know freedom, because the peace of Jesus exists where the peace of Jesus exists. People know that to diminish the humanity of another human through discrimination or oppression, is to diminish the humanity of everyone. For Jesus, this is what peace looks like. In the world into which Jesus came, this kind of peace did not exist. And today it still does not yet exist. And so, talking like this creates division. It causes heated and passionate arguments where words get thrown around like possible, pragmatic, political, particularly when the people in the room are people like me, people with wealth, people who have never seen the inside of a police car, much less the inside of a prison, people who are physically able and neurotypical, people who have never known oppression. And here, Jesus stands in the midst of this division, in the midst of this pain and hurt, pain that his message of peace and reconciliation has caused, and he does not ignore it. He names it, and he continues to preach love, repentance, forgiveness, and healing. Jesus continues to seek out the faithful, believing that his message has a chance in the world if people will just try. Dear children of God, the world in which we live is not so different from the world in which Jesus offered this message. Tensions and pains exist. Many right here in our lives, in our homes, and many in other places. Some of them related to the peace and reconciliation of Jesus, which has the power to divide, even as it seeks to draw together. In the midst of that pain, be it the pain of not having enough to eat, 
the pain of broken relationships, the pain of losing a loved one, or the pain of feeling like Jesus is causing significant discomfort. In the midst of any of these pains, and any more that don't fit into these categories, the message of Jesus remains the same. Our task as Christians, our task as Northminster Baptist Church is to love God with our whole selves and to love our neighbors like we want to be loved. We have heard these words so often that it is easy to forget how hard they are to live. Loving someone like you want to be loved can cause pain. And it can cause division. Look at Jesus. It nearly got him thrown off a cliff. And it did get him all the way crucified. Learning to know a person and to know their pain requires a special kind of time, attention, and care. And it requires a response. In order to live in the world about which Jesus preached, we must choose love. And in order to live into the peace of Christ, we must seek out pain. We must be ready to share it and to offer love and reconciliation as a salve to it. We must offer love. Otherwise, we are destined to be described in the same way that Jesus described the world into which he came, a world in which his message brought division. If you are anything like me, thinking about ideas like peace and division on large and small scales from Jerusalem to Jackson can leave you thinking, so what do I do? I propose to start here. Ask yourself this question. What can I do today to bring about the peace of Christ? What can I do today to bring about the peace of Christ? Answer that question. Then go do it today. <laughs>